Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in this world. It's me again, Damien Barr, welcoming you back to another salon exclusive where you get to be the first to hear about the upcoming books that we are most excited about. And we have been filtering our way through hundreds of titles for you to find Black Cake. Now, it was the subject of a huge auction. Everybody's very excited about it in the world of publishing and it lives up to the hype. It is by Charmaine Wilkerson. It's her debut novel. It's really ambitious. It's a big book with a sweeping narrative that spans decades and takes us around the world. And we love those multi-generational stories. This one is about a Caribbean American family. It's got different timelines. It's really hard to talk about without giving you any spoilers. All I will say is that it is about the healing power of truly listening with an open heart. And yes, there is a piece of black cake in the book. It's the MacGuffin around which everything else revolves. Black Cake is among Grazia's most anticipated novels of 2022 and Books Supremo, Alison Finch from BBC Radio 4, says it is an extremely assured debut which pulls in threads and echoes from across the Caribbean diaspora to deliver a rich, complex and really satisfying novel. So there you go, rich and complex, much like the Black Cake itself. Here is Charmaine with a delectable extract. Hello, I'm Charmaine Wilkerson. I am so pleased to have this opportunity to read exclusively for listeners of Damien Barr's Literary Salon. First, a little bit about the title. Black cake is the name of a traditional Caribbean fruitcake, and there is a cake in the story. But the narrative really centers around dramatic events that affect the destiny and identity of one family. The story takes the reader from the Caribbean to the UK to the United States. It goes back and forth between the past and present, and it is told from the perspectives of various characters. The main characters in the present day are Byron and Benny. They're a brother and sister raised in California, once inseparable, but they haven't seen each other in years. There's been a huge rift in their family. Now they are forced to come together to deal with their mother's death and her unusual bequest, a small black cake sitting in her freezer and a lengthy voice recording with a series of revelations that will change their lives. I will read from some very short chapters, alternating between the perspectives of Byron and Benny, beginning with Byron. She's here. Byron hears the elevator doors peel open. His first instinct is to rush toward his sister and embrace her. But when Benny leans in to hug him, Byron pushes her away, then turns to knock on the door to the attorney's office. He feels Benny put a hand on his arm. He shakes it free. Benny stands there, her mouth open, but says nothing. And what right does she have to say anything? Byron hasn't seen Benny in eight years, and now their ma is gone for good. What does Benny expect? She took a family argument and turned it into a cold war. Never mind all that talk about societal rejection and discrimination and whatnot. It seems to Byron that whatever kind of problem you have in this world, you can find someone to show you understanding. And times are changing. There's even been a study in the news recently about people like Benny. 
people like Benny. The study says it can be a lonely road for people like her, but she won't be getting any sympathy from Byron, no. Benedetta Bennett gave up that luxury years ago when she turned her back on her family, even though she claims it was the other way around. At least she showed up this time. Six years ago, Byron and his mother sat in the church across from his father's coffin up in L.A. County, waiting for Benny to arrive, but no Benny. Later, Byron thought he saw his sister skirting the burial grounds in the back of a car. She'd be there any minute, he thought, but still, no Benny. Only a text from her later saying, I'm sorry, then silence for months at a time, then years. As each year went by, he was less certain that Benny had been there that day, or that he'd ever had a sister to begin with, that he'd ever had a chubby, squiggle-headed baby girl following him around the house, that she'd ever cheered him on at the national meets, that he'd ever heard her voice sailing across the auditorium as he closed his hand around his doctoral diploma, that he'd ever not felt the way he does right now, orphaned and pissed as hell. Benny. Her mother's attorney opens the door and Benny looks past him, half expecting to see her ma sitting in the room. But it's only Benny and Byron now, and Byron won't even look at her. The lawyer is saying something about a message from their mother, but Benny can't concentrate. She's still looking at Byron, at the bits of grey in his hair that didn't used to be there. What's with the pushing anyway? The man is 45 years old, not 10. In all these years, her big brother has never shoved her, never hit her, not even when she was little and tended to pounce and bite like a puppy. Benny's first memory of Byron. They are sitting on the couch. She is settled under her brother's arm, and Byron is reciting adventure stories to her from a book. His feet can already touch the floor. Byron stops to fluff Benny's hair with his fingers, to pull on her earlobes, to pinch her nostrils shut, to tickle her until she is breathless with laughter, until she is dying of happiness. The message. Their mother has left them a message, the lawyer says. The lawyer's name is Mr. Mitch. He's talking to Byron and Benny as though he's known them all their lives though Byron can only recall meeting him one other time, when his ma needed help getting around town after her accident last winter, the one his friend Cable insisted wasn't an accident. Byron walked his mother up to Mr. Mitch's office, then went back outside to wait for her in the car. He was still there watching some kids skateboard down the broad, buff-toned sidewalks between one high-end chain store and the next, when a police officer rapped on his side window. This kind of thing had happened to Byron so often over the course of his adult life that sometimes he forgot to be nervous. But most times, whenever he was approached or pulled over by an officer, he slid down into that space between one heartbeat and the next where he could hear his blood crashing through his body a waterfall carrying centuries of history with it, threatening to wipe out the ground on which he stood. His research, his books and social media following, the speaking engagements, the scholarship he wanted to fund, all of it 
could be gone in a split second of misunderstanding. Only later, after the officer had opened the trunk of his patrol car and come back with a copy of Byron's latest book, Could He Have an Autograph?, did it occur to Byron that a grown man of any color, sitting alone in a car watching pre-adolescence skateboard up and down the sidewalk, could elicit a reasonable degree of suspicion? All right, he could see that. It wasn't always about him being a black man, though mostly it was. Let me just warn you, Mr. Mitch is saying now, about your mother. You need to be prepared. Prepared? Prepared for what? Their mother is already gone. His ma. He doesn't see how anything after that is going to make much of a difference. B&B. There's an entire file box labeled Estate of Eleanor Bennett. Mr. Mitch pulls out a brown paper envelope with their mother's handwriting on it and puts it on the desk in front of Byron. Benny shifts her seat closer to Byron's and leans in to look. Byron removes his hand, but leaves the packet where Benny can see it. Their ma has addressed the envelope to B&B, the moniker she liked to use whenever she wrote or spoke to them together. B&B notes were usually pinned to the fridge door with a magnet. B&B, there's some rice and peas on the stove. B&B, I hope you left your sandy shoes at the door. B&B, I love my new earrings. Thank you. Ma only called them Byron or Benny when she was speaking with one sibling or the other, and she only called Benny Benedetta when she was upset. Benedetta, what about this report card? Benedetta, don't talk to your father that way. Benedetta, I need to talk to you. Benedetta, please come home. That's it for my reading from my new book, Black Cake. Thanks so much for listening. And thank you for joining us, Charmaine. And lovely listeners, if you get your hands on a copy of Black Cake, I would love to know what you think about it. We'd love to hear from you when you pick up our choices. Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson is published by Michael Joseph and available now in all good bookshops. And we hope they are piling this one high for everybody to get their hands on. We really do appreciate your support, lovely listeners, and we hope that you'll share this episode with someone you know who enjoys fine fiction. If you're not already a subscriber to our newsletter, then sign up for priority access to our events, to enter book giveaways and to learn about all the exciting stuff we've got going on here at the Salon. As always, thank you for listening. Enjoy whatever you're reading and join us again soon. Bye.